Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Hunter. Hunter uh, was introduced to me via Theomedes Discord, and uh, we got to talking, and they said they had some cool lore theories and some cool ideas about the Souls games. Uh, It took us a little while to connect, but we finally were able to, and this is the episode in which we did so. I think that you're going to enjoy it a lot, so please listen. first encountered uh oh gosh it was actually back in demon souls it was like 2010 i think i'm one of the old guard apparently for the series what was uh how did you like how did you hear about it because demon souls had a like that weird kind of half u.s release where people were just importing it and kind of word of mouth was going around on websites oh um i i was a little late to the party on uh, on that one i wasn't actually wasn't uh doing the whole japanese import thing i found i found it in like um it was like 2010 after the after it had kind of like sunk into that sort of like weird cult following sort of thing. So I heard about it online as like, oh, here's this, you know, super hard video game. It's super scary and it's super tough. It's for hardcore gamers. And being a disgusting hardcore gamer of myself at the time, I totally fell into that. I was really a huge sucker for that. And then playing through it, I, I finally picked it up somewhere at a game store and I played through uh, 1-1 and... I played it like it was a horror game or something, like I was playing a new Silent Hill or something like that. And it was the most stressful time of my entire fucking life. I I freaked myself out at every corner, <laughs> like reading every single message, looking for every single enemy because everything's going to kill me. Oh no, it's so difficult. Uh. And I couldn't stand it. I I sent the game down immediately after that and I was like, "Nope. Fuck this." <laughs> I'm uh, done with this stupid game. No thanks. Not anymore. I had that exact same experience. Like that was literally like I, I, I booted up Demon Souls after hearing about it and then played it for 45 minutes. It was like, this is obviously the worst game ever made. I never want to play this again. <laughs> no, I loved it is the thing. Like I had such a good time, but I was so stressed out by it that I was like, mm, it's not for me. Um, I ended up uh, letting a friend borrow it for like a couple of weeks at one point and he gave it back to me and was like why are you not playing this he he beat the whole game and he was like this shit is so cool it like gets so crazy at the end you're shooting the storm ruler and stuff you're fighting the the god king thing it's, it's super nuts and so i decided mm, dark souls is coming out soon so uh okay and i took like a couple of weeks and i just sat down and i bashed my head against it for a while <laughs> and eventually i got through it wow what, what is that first experience like like what, what do you think finally clicked for you was it just like knowing um, that the cool stuff was happening so you were, you were pushing through despite the uh, I, I, difficulty I, it, it's so embarrassing because i'm i'm such a much more chill person than i was when i was like Oh god, how old was I? Even like 19 or something? Awful. Um, I'm so much more chill now, but like back in the day, like I got like, I got mad at video games and that's so embarrassing to think about. (laughs) But yeah, I just like pushed myself through, um, I pushed myself through Demon's Souls and eventually pushed myself through Dark Souls kind of the same way and, um... Those experiences were really cool, like like going into these like totally fresh things and not knowing anything. That's super cool, but I don't think I was in the right mindset for that back at that age. Whereas nowadays, like going to new games, I'm I'm so much more like in the groove of these things mm-hmm. that I like I can go with it, even though it's like it's hard. It's like oh jeez, I can't beat this difficult video game. Do you think that's something that you learned from playing the Souls games, where it kind of at, at some point the Souls games kind of convinces you that hey, death doesn't matter. Like it's, you know, you can just start over and then do it again. Like that, that seems to have made me much more relaxed about dying in just about any other video game. That's actually the funny thing because as super pretentious as it is, just like I'm pretentious about everything. Um, Dark Souls taught me a lot about playing pretty much any video game. Like I got way into it and started thinking about how I approach particularly, you know, older video games, which are like notoriously difficult most of the time. It makes you start thinking about, like, you know, positioning and patience and learning from mistakes. Like, it really has this 
people say that Dark Souls is pretty old school, and like I think that's really true in the way that it conditions you to be cautious and careful about your movements and and how you approach a problem. Yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, for being such a modern video game and for kind of breaking a lot of ground for modern video games, like we're still seeing AAA stuff kind of take aspects of. of the original Dark Souls and Demon Souls, like some of the multiplayer asynchronicity and whatnot, like it was still, it still almost kind of feels like a Nintendo game and how just not obscure, but like just so how opaque it is, right? Like just, it just drops you into this world with very little messaging and it's like, okay, go do the thing. <laughs> and it's, it kind of overwhelms you with, with control options and all these different things. And, and it's just, and there's no map, which feels very old, old school Nintendo. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the no map thing, I'll, I'll defend to the death that Dark Souls should never have a map. Because, like, you're talking about, like, you know, Metroidvania level design in these sorts of things. But in the case of Souls games, you're working with a three-dimensional map. And what that creates is that you, you now, not only do you have, you know, the, the X and the Y axis, but that means you have the Z axis, meaning that you can use depth and sight and move the camera anywhere you need. To see, like, oh, not only do I need to move forward and back, but I can move that direction that I see over there, because there's landmarks over there. So, in a two-dimensional exploration game, you kind of need a map, because otherwise you're going to get lost. Did you play Salt and Sanctuary, out of curiosity? That's exactly what I'm talking about, in (laughs) fact. You found my clever reference. That 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 game's got some problems. (laughs) Uh, so many, so many weird shortcuts that take you back to like previous areas, but that felt kind of perfunctory more than, than than useful, right? Like just, just so many times where I would I would open up a, a secret door, open up a, something that I just gained the ability to do, and it was just a shortcut back to the original area. And I'm like, well, I don't have any idea where I am, and I'm teleporting everywhere anyway, so who cares? <laughs> so uh, the standout example was the final level, the super black and white upside down castle. Uh, mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, everyone! Uh, um, where you find a shortcut back to Havier's Cavern, that place that I need to get back to <laughs> from from the final area. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really, really, you know, keeping that momentum for the end. I like that game a lot, but um, there's man, there's that the the, the lack of a map really. I think hampered that game's reception. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I like I love Salt and Sanctuary. That's the thing. I cannot wait to see what that team does next. But mm, it it needs to be criticized. Yeah. What's your uh, so what's your kind of standard build nowadays in, in Dark Souls? Like, what, did you do you did you gravitate towards something the first time you played it? Was it big weapons or magic or? So I'm the lamest person in the world. I'm super boring, and I'll always play a new Dark Souls game with sword and board. There's nothing wrong with that. Because I want to be... I want to be just, like, a piece of shit knight. That's what I always want to be, at at least first, in these games. I play these games, like, 12 times each, every single time. But I always explore the game first as, like... Basically, a sword and board knight, use a bow and arrow, and just, like, if I need to be lame and cheese something from the distance, then I do, because it's all about survival. What about uh, subsequent playthroughs? What do you go to after that? Or is it still, or do you just kind of, are you role-playing different characters, or are you actually playing different builds? Um, I usually focus on, like, what the gameplay aspect is, and then I'll just think of a funny name, like a pun off of something like that but usually i'll then try to check out like a magic character or a pyromancer or something because it's such a vastly different sort of play experience for the most part Mm -hmm. or like i might try you know what are like the super light fast weapons what are the heavy weapons like i I just kind of like dip my fingers dip my toes into um into all the different sort of play styles after that but first time through i always go with a style that's just like survival is everything don't try and be cool um because i like the flavor thing in souls games of just being like a scummy really garbage like nothing sort of fighter who's weak and lame and just barely scraping by every encounter i really really love that 
<laughs> I like I like it weak and scummy as a description of your of your character because it's that's so much the opposite of what you get in, in most video games, right? Like video games are usually about empowering you and making you feel like you're a big badass on the screen versus weak and scummy. <laughs> that's really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I love it's because I love a sense of like progression scaling. Um, I, I really adore the way that we see in like like Dark Souls three reaches some really high heights. Where, like, you know, by the end of the game, you're, like, climbing, you're climbing to the top of Arch Dragon Peak, and you're fighting the god of the storms, who's the old son of the old god, of the, the riding a dragon, and, and you're fighting him in the middle of the sky. And it's like, this is super dumb and nuts. And then you're going back down to the ground to fly into the far apocalyptic future, where you're fighting the souls of every warrior who's... But you start off rising up out of a grave in the middle of nowhere and having dumb slap fights with a bunch of idiots in robes. (laughs) It's like you start super, super tiny and you're so, like, you're nothing. And then over time, you eventually scrape your way by and struggle your way up to these, like, crazy heights. It makes them feel way more satisfying because a lot of games... Like, for, you know, in, for instance, absolutely nothing making me think of this, but Lords of the Fallen hmm. starts at Arch Dragon Peak. And then it's just like, well, then where the fuck? Like, I, I can't feel anything now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating because you have to have somewhere to go in a video game. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't play a lot of Lords of the Fallen, but... Uh, a lot of that game put me off for various reasons. The art style did and like the, the kind of gruff character thing that they were going for. I just didn't really dig, but dark souls needs a character creator. That's what you need. You need, man, I tell you, uh, I think just about almost every game nowadays needs some form of character creator because I've heard so many people talk about playing the Witcher three and get turned off because you have to play as, you know, I can never remember if it was Geralt or Geralt. Um, I think it's Geralt, uh, Gerald, Gerald. It's Jerry, Jerry. Let's just call him Jerry. Uh, but because you can't play him as a woman, right? You're this, you're this, and you could literally change nothing about that game and just have it be a female character model and like have people refer to you as, you know, whatever pronouns you wish. And then, Hey, that's, that's a much more accepting game. I know that's not what they set out to do. And that's not the, you know, that's not what the, the, you know, that game is based on, but every game needs a character creator. I don't care what it is. (laughs) Give me those options. Um, it's, it's always appreciated, I think. I can respect, from like a narrative standpoint, when uh, uh, some people are like making a game with a story in mind and a protagonist in mind. Like, I, I can get behind that. I can understand, in The Witcher's case, why it's like, this is the story they set out to tell about this particular kind of guy, and you sort of make the small-scale decisions of what this guy does moment to moment. I get that. I, I I'm not super willing to defend the witcher but what i am willing to defend is night in the woods where the creators have talked occasionally about this sort of phenomenon actually how it's like they don't want they they specifically did not want you to have any say over who may the main character is you get to make choices and none of your choices matter in the whole game Interesting. See, I haven't played Night in the Woods yet. It's on my, it's on my ever-increasing list of, of games I should play. So. I, you should definitely add it, because it's, um, it's, it's a really fantastic little adventure game. It's, it's super cute and super charming, and I like it a bunch. People compared it when I was playing um, Oxenfree. People compared it to Oxenfree and said, like, if you dug Oxenfree, you, you, should, you should definitely play Night in the Woods. It's like that, but better. And I'm like, okay, cool. I could, I'll definitely get uh, into People have been telling me if I like Night in the Woods, I should play Oxenfree. So <laughs> that, that works out. That makes sense. Welcome to our new podcast, What We Haven't Been Playing. <laughs> oh, jeez, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, uh, steer back. Steer back. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 great that I think I've I've talked to a lot of people about the Souls games and the character creator I think is something that is is one of the key components of, of making these games successful. Like you can you can look at like I'm going to create the the Lobo speedrun monster or the Monster Factory monster, right? Like and people can mm-hmm. do that and have a good time with it. Or oh, you, no one can recreate the Monster Factory monsters because <laughs> they're randomized. It's true. Um, I'm sure somebody somewhere has tried to figure out their sliders. I, I know I know people on Reddit like really like to do slider <laughs> adjustments. Well, but, see the trick. Tutorials. The trick is if you have a thousand monkeys at a thousand PS4 controllers. <laughs> but I, I see like all the way from the Monster Factory. 
you know side of the slider to I have very very carefully constructed my my, my beautiful person my my OC or myself or my best friend or my girlfriend wife husband whatever and I, I've done that and I, I you know I'm lovingly going to take screenshots throughout the entire time of my adventure and it it creates a sense of connection even if you're doing the monster factory thing it creates a sense of like look at this ridiculous creature I've created versus look at this very special person that I've created. Mm-hmm. How often? I'm, I'm just curious. Like when you boot up a new Souls game for the first time, how long do you think you spend in the, in the character creator on your first oh, playthrough? An hour, easily an hour. <laughs> Same Be- because <laughs> because I am always that total dweeb who is like, I'm gonna make myself in the video game. I'm gonna see if I can do that. So I'm gonna give my character just like big old adorable nose and long floofy hair and and super long eyelashes because I'm adorable. <laughs> it's a it's it's really great like and i still like how difficult it is to do that right like you can like it's not it's not a particularly good character creator like it's just got a lot of options in it so you can do a lot of stuff but it's not oh, particularly it's, it's great incredibly I, I difficult to work one with. of the most charming things about it <laughs> yeah, yeah it's no, not it's, it's not it's, necessarily it's, fun it's terrible. but it's like, good it's, it's an awful a character creator it's like literally the same system that they had back in Demon Souls in tw- in two thousand nine. It's mm-hmm. super great. Except now they've added tattoos and facial hair. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've only made only improvements, really. Yeah, seriously. So that's actually a funny thing. One thing I noticed in Dark Souls three, you can give ladies facial hair now. Yeah, yeah. If they you re- want to, it almost feels like an oversight, but it just makes it better. They've uh, they really leaned into that. Like I remember booting up Bloodborne for the first time, and it was like you know choose your character, male or female. And it was like gender has no bearing on capability, or bearing on performance, or something. So a message to that effect of basically saying like the gender you choose is not going to matter into the gameplay whatsoever, which hey, is always great. Want to know something dumb? Have you seen that Dark Souls post? That a Dark Souls advice post on Tumblr? Of like, uh, oh, gender has no bearing on ability. Age has no bearing on ability. Yeah. Yeah. You seen that? Mm-hmm. That was me. I made that. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I hate it now. It's the only thing people reblog, and I only see notifications for that now. <laughs> I've seen that. That was uh, back in my Tumblr days. Uh, I remember that going around for the first time and being like, uh, and, and thought it was just absolutely hilarious. But yeah, I saw. Um, I saw. God, like a, you're part of the problem. I know it was me. I probably retwe- I probably reblogged that from Dark Souls haters if I had to guess. Uh, I, I'll have to go back and look, but. Uh, who did I just see that posted that? I want, I want to say it was uh, the cut content guy, Lance. They've been doing oh, all gosh, of Oh, gosh. I don't know. Maybe it was everybody. Every, literally, literally everybody. Uh, that's that's really funny. I'll have to find a link to that post so we can uh, put it in the show notes. Oh, God. Please, I, want you, I need do. you to get more notifications about it is what I'm saying. <laughs> Tell me about uh, kind of getting into the story of Dark Souls for the first time, because we, we've talked a lot about gameplay and things like that, but, uh, you know, the, there's obviously, like, this huge, I don't want to say tome, but this this huge amount of lore in Dark Souls 1 and Demon Souls, and then it's been continually expanded throughout the series. Uh, how did you first encounter that, and then, like, how, how did you react to it? Okay, so I'm just going to say, I don't know if my microphone picked it up, but I did just intake a large amount of breath um, preparing because now we're getting into my shit. I rub my palms together devilishly. Um, so the truth is, back in 2011, when I picked up Dark Souls Day 1, obviously, um, I played through that game in like a week, and then I set it down and was like, well, I'm done. That game didn't have a story. And I just thought to myself, okay, bye, done. And then like a few months later, I'm randomly clicking through YouTube, and I see, oh, oh, who's this fellow, this Ampike Nam Bra? Um, well, this seems like a fun video. He's talking about a Dark Souls story. I don't know. It seems kind of silly to me. I don't think it's going to be anything. And then I click another one, and another one, and another one, and I start realizing, oh, shit, wait a minute. The, those those things that the items say those those mean things. Oh, that's that's that guy from there. Oh, that's thing that's that thing from there. Oh wait, and it's all like the gears are turning in my head. It's all clicking together, and then I'm ruined forever. That's that's the end of my life because now I like Dark Souls lore and it's it's <laughs> it's done. I have no future. 
what's your uh what's your, what's on your first playthroughs for Dark Souls games, are you making notes, like reading item descriptions, trying to trying to put all of these pieces together, get the like the serial killer yarn wall set up? Or... Oh, I mean, I am now because <laughs> now I expect it. Now you're looking. I'm, for I, it. I'm I'm absolutely one of those people like flipping out at like the tiniest mention of like whoa a snake what? Huh. I'm curious. How did that? As someone who's been playing the series since almost the beginning. Getting to Dark Souls three, uh, wh- where do you land on Dark Souls three from a lore perspective? Because I've talked to a lot of different people and have a have heard a lot of different opinions on it. Okay, Dark Souls three is a difficult beast, is the thing. I- I'm going to say that, like, from a like narrative themes perspective, I love it. I I actually super love it. From a lore perspective, I'm a little mm, little disappointed on that front. Because I think, I feel like there's a difference between lore and story. Because, like, lore is kind of like, it it was the building blocks that made up most of Dark Souls' story in Dark Souls 1, Mm -hmm. which was, like, lore is, like, the flavor text, the background stuff, the world consistency kind of world-building stuff. And that made up most of the story in Dark Souls 1, because Dark Souls 1 had an extremely simple story. Whereas Dark Souls 3 is kind of jumping off narratively from Dark Souls 1, it has a lot of cool flavor things that don't feel like they go much of anywhere, like narrative-wise. It doesn't build up the story as much as it does in Dark Souls 1. Um, But the narrative, the base narrative that Dark Souls 3 has to go with, not so much built up from its lore, is really good. I, I love the narrative places that Dark Souls 3 goes, even if it doesn't quite stick the landing in some places what about uh compare and contrast that to dark souls 2 which tried to kind of separate itself to from dark souls 1 with like you know a cushion of about a thousand years it felt like or in a different continent um did that work i mean more if you or, want me to mince even harder than i just did like mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want me, if you want me to just spend like three minutes making like eh, well, eh, but you know, you know that's kind of my stance on Dark Souls 2 is that it's like I I, I I am one of those Dark Souls 2 haters I am unfortunately mea culpa but you know I, I can see some values in it I, I see some of the cool story stuff it's going for but I, I again I think it really falls apart lore wise I think it doesn't build up to as interesting a narrative as it really deserved to be and that and Dark Souls 3 make me really convinced that, like, Souls games don't need sequels, I I think. Dark Souls 3 was a worthwhile game. Dark Souls 2 is a worthwhile game. Like, they're all good. But, like, I I think all the time and effort that went towards 2 and 3 probably should have just gone towards new stories with new settings. Yeah, uh, it's it's actually come up in the last, like, four or five episodes in a row, and I feel bad for... Uh, listeners having to hear me say the same thing, but I I really feel oh, like no. Dark Souls Two would have been more warmly recepted if it was just like Dragon Souls and didn't have a lot of you know had the 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 kind of from software touches like patches or the Moonlight Greatsword or or what have you like they're kind of through lines that they like to put in the games they're 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 cheeky little surprises but uh, mm-hmm. versus having you know the Sunlight Altar or literally Ornstein <laughs> in the game. The- so oh no okay so um this is I'll, I'll get to that point in a sec um so i really feel like had the project started more as like they're doing a different thing in a different setting i think a big part of dark souls 2's problem is really just that the the writers weren't confident enough in in being something separate from dark souls 1 because there's all these yeah references and and cameos from things that just don't make any sense like they're they're just there in these places in like I don't mean to just accuse things like, oh it's just pandering it's just uh, uh, it's mm-hmm. just fan service crap because FromSoft loves to reference themselves like they're not doing it for you they're doing it for themselves because it's fun and goofy like they do that all the time but you know there's a bunch of things here that it's like it it, it leans so hard on this like 
sense of, oh, it's that thing from the last game, you remember that, but we don't know what's going on, you'll have to figure out the answers for yourself, maybe. And it's just like, it does it with this sort of, like, really awkward attempt at being, like, playful and teasing that just doesn't come together. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm not much, I don't watch a lot of lore videos. Um, I, I'm really fascinated by the story, uh, but like Dark Souls one, I kind of, I've kind of got my own head thing happening, and I, I, I like that. But with Dark Souls two and Dark Souls three, I find myself liking individual stories within those games more than I like the overarching stories that they're telling. Uh, you know, with you know, Henri, for example, uh, is it in Dark Souls three that that character's kind of arc in that game and the the places that you meet them, I think it's really fascinating and interesting. And I almost like that more than I do, you know, getting to the soul of cinder for the first time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, so, like that works for me on a, on a, on a micro level more than it does on a macro level. And I feel like that's with the exception of demon souls, dark souls, one and bloodborne. Like that's how I feel about those games as a, as a whole. Uh, but Bloodborne specifically has, you know, such a self-contained story almost that's, you know, it actually tells a story and has themes and has a, a whole thing that it can go through. Like it feels closed in a way that the other games really don't. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely my thoughts exactly. Because um, uh, I, I don't want a Bloodborne two. I don't want any sequel to that. I, th- I think it's such a wonderfully self-contained short story that's just doing its own thing and it doesn't need to be connected to anything else and it just totally works it's great i i wouldn't mind if it was longer but like i just want more bloodborne in its own package it's astonishing how short that game is when you think about it like it really is it's a terrible shame it doesn't it does not take a long time even with the dlc like going through uh, I remember when Bloodborne came out. A, a friend of mine, Allison, um, she she was she was just like, okay, I, she she blew through the game very quickly, and she's like, okay, I'm gonna see how fast I can get through it. She's not a speedrunner or anything. She just wanted to see how fast she could go down the critical path. And it was like, oh, I went through the game plus in, in an hour and a half, basically. Like I just knew exactly, boom, boom, boom. Okay, dead. All right, go. Because with, with, if you're not like exploring around or going after every shiny or looking at statues and wondering where they came from it does not take a long time to go through that game even with the dlc mm-hmm. i did that uh at one point through a new game plus as well and i was also noticing like wow this is hmm, it's pretty quick oh uh, did you watch the uh bloodborne speed run at the last um games done quick yeah yeah um oh, what's that dude's name uh jesus yeah he, yeah, was, yeah he was fantastic what a good runner just like having a good time and getting the crowd hyped up for it yeah, that that and you know I was uh, so I'm I'm of two minds about that dude and uh, and this is no I'm not throwing shade at this guy because I think oh no did he do something problematic no 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 not not that I've seen <laughs> not that I've seen he hasn't milkshake ducked us yet but uh, there was when he started that run it's such a it's such a theatrical um, and I'll I might make a note to cut some some of the audio in so people can kind of hear what we're talking about I might go try to rip some of that audio just so you can get an idea of what what he was doing. So the reason we come to this land is because we've been afflicted by a sickness. And we, we've come to a blood minister and he's cured us. And we wake up here at Yosefka's clinic with the urge to run. <laughs> we open the door, go down the steps, and we could hear some sounds coming out the door. What is it? A wolf eating a corpse. So we're quickly going to run away. (laughs) Look behind. Oh my God. What is happening? He's trying to kill me. But somehow, I I appear to be impervious while I'm opening a door. Oh my God. Oh, there it is again. He cannot touch me. Good. 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 Okay. I'm invincible. Nothing can kill me. He, it's such a it's such a performance that he's doing, which is what those are. That that's he is in a he's being watched by you know hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, you know they're raising millions of dollars for charity. Like that is that is the time to be performing. Uh, and oh, when he started, pressure's on. Yeah, and when he got to like um, Vicar Amelia, I really enjoyed him saying, "Okay, you know one, two, three, and that leg is broken. Okay, four, five, transform attack. That leg is broken." And I was really that was fascinating to me because he's explaining what he is doing, like he's practiced it so much, and he's kind of t- teaching us how to do it with this 
amazing voice. Like the dude has a voice like you, like he's got a voice like you want to see. You want him to read the telephone book like you know Morgan Freeman, <laughs> right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but then like kind of as it goes on, he gets kind of internet culture memey a little bit and i just like it, there was something about it that just turned me off like when he started uh, when it, when he died a couple of times and he was kind of yelling at miyazaki and things like that like i just i didn't i didn't particularly get into that aspect i really liked the educational side of it i guess does that make sense i hope i'm not I hope, and also well, yeah, i hope I, I jesus actually, if you're listening to this because i want you on the podcast at some point like not not throwing shade at all much respect to you because of what you what you're doing and achieving so um, yeah, I, I would not blame him at all for uh, leaning back on some kind of easier stuff than being that really solid entertainer thing at mm-hmm. first, because he had to go for like an hour and a half. Um, but, you know, thinking back on it, I do, I do recall that a little bit as well. But it's just, I, I guess, just like watching what a fantastic run it was, I was a little distracted by that. It's and it's a solid run. Like, and I've 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 since subscribed to him on Twitch, and I and I you know, as I do with a lot of people, that boot up Twitch and just like in the background as I'm editing or doing work or, or whatever, just kind of watching somebody stream a video game, and it's and it's entertaining as hell. And watching that dude continually improve is is, is really fun. Uh, it, it but I, I kind of feel like that way about a lot of Souls players. You know, I feel like for me, it definitely like Dark Souls exposed me to Twitch pretty much. Like I'd never really watched Twitch outside of you know. Oh hey, there's a speedrun archive on YouTube. I'm gonna watch that, but never thought to myself, oh, I need to go watch this person play a video game until it was some friends of mine like, oh hey, we're gonna go uh, stream snipe, and I was like, stream snipe, what is that? Oh, we're gonna go invade this guy that's playing, and you can watch us invade him. And I was like, well, this sounds like a fun time. This sounds like a great asshole thing to do. I am into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, right. I, I, man, I had never really thought much of doing that before. I I might have to look into trying that sort of thing sometime soon. <laughs> it's fun. I, I don't really get I don't really get into the PvP of uh of Souls very much, but Dark Souls three had me uh messing around with it in some pretty fun ways. Yeah, they 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 did a bunch of interesting like covenants and stuff like with the purple bros and things like that with being able to get summoned for PvP fights. It's uh, I was a big PvP person all the way back to Dark Souls one, so that that stuff is is kind of my jam. But I definitely see why people are cannot cannot enjoy it. Like it's not definitely not for everybody. Um, would you like me to dunk on your particular culture? Uh, sure. Real quick, because I'm I have it. I have just god awful theories about Dark Souls three. Um, that I want to get super critical and super mean and terrible about, uh, based on my last playthrough that I did with some friends, I started realizing what I think my number one problem with uh, with Dark Souls Three is actually. Tell me about it. Um, it turns out they're pandering to the hardcore crowd. A- That's actually absolutely. what's causing problems with the mm-hmm. game. Like I, it it just all suddenly clicked to me. It makes sense now because. Dark Souls has not been pandering to, like, like oh, the casuals, oh, no, we're making it more accessible for people, oh, what a problem. And, like, yeah, I'm I'm a pretentious piece of shit who, who, like, sometimes thinks those sort of things, but it's like, no, the problem's not that. The problem's that they've been trying to appeal to PvPers and make things more convenient for them. That And so much of Dark Souls 3 is, like, built around creating convenience features for the player to get into like hardcore pvp gameplay and stuff because you have this whole like hub area that's full of helpful npcs who are your shops and they just hang around there and they do stuff they don't do anything other than sell you stuff and they're just there so that like oh i have a shop for like infinite use items and i have a shop for all these weapons and here's my blacksmith right here and you know i can buy all these red orbs that i need and i can just go do this thing and then just like boom 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 get right into it and i don't have to worry about all that bullshit like traveling the world and exploring everything to find this weird obtuse nonsense it's just right there there you go and that's such a it's not that it's a problem because like i can't I even I cannot bring myself to be like this is bad this is a bad choice but it's like you lose something compared to like Dark Souls 1 where getting the red eye orb was like this nonsense like sequence break whole thing of like going down to the four kings early in the game and then like talking to a horrifying serpent who gives you an evil orb it's just there's there's such a 
it's just so weird and it's so obtuse and unfriendly to the player. It, it leaves the player as something that is not central to the narrative of the of the world around them. And I really love this kind of decentralization that Dark Souls tends to do with its storytelling. Yeah, it's something uh, that I looked at with the boss fights over time as well, because it seems like they've they bought into their own marketing to some degree. Uh, Dark Souls 3 is, is particularly bad about this, but you know, with a fight like Madir, who I thought I was doing something wrong the first time I played him. Like I thought that I had to go trigger an event so I could do more damage on that dude. Cause I hit him in the face with the that sword. Was every and, single boss in the ring city for me. Yeah. yeah. Like it was, it was really frustrating to, to see like, Oh, not only is this boss fight hard, but like I have to do it at a certain level for like 12 minutes because I just, I don't have the right kind of damage output for, for this, for this fight. And you know, I've been playing the whole game with a fairly successful build and doing good stuff, but I just now I'm I'm at a point point where I just I just don't want to fight it. Like I just don't want to waste all of the amount of time. I could do it. Like I feel like I could sit down and spend a, a couple hours. You know, just like I did with the Chalice Dungeons before you could summon people into the Chalice Dungeons. I spent an hour and a half, probably maybe three hours on Watchdog, like just trying to perfect it. Oh God. Um, oh God. Watch yeah. <laughs> but I just I'm, I'm just not willing to do that, that anymore. I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> And it's fine now. Like I, I've, and I'm, I'm, I'm self-aware enough to know that the reason I, I kind of enjoy that fight now is because I spent three hours on it and because I finished it is because I feel like I have it under control now. But I just wasn't willing to put the time in with Dark Souls 3 because I felt like they were going in a direction that I didn't care for, which is that catering to the hardcore PvP crowd, catering to the, uh, you know, the, the people like... Uh, I mean, I'm not going to call anybody out, but like the Twitch culture, which is, you know, hey, new game seven at soul level one fists only and stuff like that, like, and mm. being a, which is awesome, which is amazing. There's a, a guy that's been on the show, Strenuous Orb and, uh, and Baller Swag Sword all, do challenge runs all the time. Patty's doing a soul level run run uh, on Dark Souls one. The lore hunter is in the middle of a bl- blood level four playthrough and doing like lore commentary during it. It was really, really good. Like those challenge runs are really fun to watch and they're interesting, but I still want to be able to like play the game normally and not have to do that for 45 minutes. Yeah, that's, the, that's sort of the thing. That's the whole notion of challenge runs though, is that it's like, like mad respect to challenge runs. I think they're fascinating. I love the way that people do like can manage to work through them. That's super cool. But the whole notion of a challenge run is that you take a thing that's not unbelievably challenging already and then you make it unbelievably challenging. So it has to be like <laughs> decently accessible in the first place. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me. It really is because I wonder, I really wonder what the communication is back and forth from, from software and the people, the, the, the players of the game and uh, you know, the publication company Namco. Like I wonder how much of an influence that all of those three things ha- are the you know Namco or Bamco or whatever, and the players had on From Software when they're making those games, or if those were conscious decisions that they were going for. Because if you play the older games, like if you go back to Dark Souls One, and we're right, you know, we're a couple of weeks from the remaster at this point, so we're not we're not far from be- a bunch of people playing Dark Souls One for the first time. Uh, hmm. You you hit the Taurus Demon with your unupgraded un- un- weapon and do like two hundred damage to it, and that's like a significant portion of his health bar. You know, compare and contrast that with the cleric beast, which is, which is, you know, it has probably ten times the HP. And I just wonder, like, what, what, where did that decision come in? Um, it it definitely feels like the kind of difficulty curve that we see in the series overall is just fueled by a a sense of confidence in the developer, I guess, because they see that it's like you know people are able to handle these challenges that they set out at first that like seemed kind of daunting um but it's like over time i i i like to i like to give benefit of the doubt and assume the best of people generally so i I would assume the devs aren't doing it out of sense of like oh they believe their own marketing hype now Mm -hmm. but rather that it's just they, they have confidence in the player like they did this stuff like the people that played Demon Souls, Dark Souls One, they they're gonna be buying Dark Souls Two and Three. So they already did, you know, this stuff. They beat these things. So like Dark Souls Three feels very much like it's designed for people that have played the other games, because it starts like you start off against Gundir, you know, like that's that's such an unforgivable boss for like someone who's like picking this up as their first souls game, I don't see how they would beat Gundir. 
it's a it's a pretty difficult fight and obviously people have done it because I, I mean i know a lot of people that have started with dark souls 3 but it's it's a really significantly tougher boss than just about anything that you faced that early in a souls game up to that point um but i mean as for my experience with like you know the the rising challenge and stuff yeah i, I don't think that Dark Souls 3 needed to be as hard as it is in the way that it is. Especially the the DLCs. Like, uh, you know, Sister Frida and Frida and Father Ariandel, like, they're an incredibly good boss fight. But it could be, like, half as long. They could have, like, half as much HP, I think. Yep, same. I think you could um, checkpoint your way through uh, that Sister Frida battle and be complete. I would be completely okay with that. I actually will totally defend the non-checkpointing. I think that's actually extremely cool. You, you, you like if they had made each phase again, like maybe, maybe like two thirds as much HP. If they had done that, it would have been completely fine. And like, it is like this actually like, horrifyingly demanding fight which you know that's the that's the climax to this whole like small story i'm cool with that i think that's really sweet but like ring city like i like like you said you know i thought i was doing something wrong against gale i thought like okay i have to actually run away from him and explore this big open zone that they've given me to like find something that'll weaken him and it's like no you just have to beat him up you have to beat up that old creep (laughs) <laughs> and I loved doing it like I love beating up that old creep because I mean gosh I was pushed forward through Ring City I did everything in Ring City because of like lore hunting because of story stuff and I mean truth be told I wasn't disappointed like mm-hmm. I, I think even though a lot of story things like I've been like I was saying you know it, it doesn't stick the landing so much Ring City has just so much flavor and so much, like, narrative concept stuff that appeals so hard to me. Like, it felt like the whole thing was like, oh, hey, Hunter M, um, here you go. Have this. Like, by the way, there was giant conspiracies in Gwyn's War Against the Dragons where he didn't talk about all those millions of, you know, undead humans that he sent to their deaths over and over again to fight a war that they have nothing to do with. Um, here you go. This dude who is the slave knight and is literally a dragon slayer, unlike Ornstein, who never killed any dragons. Um, this guy is a super old piece of shit who has existed until the very end of time itself. And also he's one of the ring knights. There you go. Have this, have that. It's amazing. And also have all these weird bug men who just hang out and are creeps and they just like tell you to eat stuff. And it's so good. It's like, it's just for me. <laughs> they did that specifically for Hunter. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. I, I know. I mean, I've been a fan for a while, but I didn't think. <laughs> <laughs> I've been outspoken about this for a long time, but I didn't think you were listening. Wow. FromSoft answered all my weird conspiracy letters. <laughs> I can't believe they were reading all of this stuff that I was writing on a chalkboard and the email into them. Inc- <laughs> Incredible. I'm a, you mentioned that the, when I brought up lore for the first time, you mentioned that that was kind of your shit. Uh, I'm kind of curious. You found Epic Name Bro. Uh, like what, what other kind of lore resources are you using in the community? Or are, you, are you writing your own stuff? Are you putting your own theories out there anywhere? Like, uh, you know, what, what, how do you interact with the community with the, in regards to the various things that people do with lore nowadays? Um, it was it was definitely a transition over a few different places over time. Like I went from uh, ENB's just like super casual kind of just like he he just kind of like messes around with the game and just kind of chats about different item descriptions, making connections. Um, Quaylog back in the day was making those really cute little drawings to talk about like mythological things and kind of talking about a lot of extra textual references, like talking about uh, Greek and Norse mythology and how that those references kind of tie into what's going on in souls lore um then over time eventually you know you you get body and you get his um his kind of like breakdowns of like character emotional stories like it's all about it's all about melodrama it's all about um it's all about like uh character emotions sympathy all this um sympathetic bullshit that i love um 
you get um, Dave Klein, who's just kind of going through like uh, him and Terramantis had a thing for a little while where they were talking about, um, you know, kind of crack theory ish stuff, mm-hmm. which I'm very into. I'm very into the crack theory stuff. I am very here for crazy unsupported lore theories. Because uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's a creative process. That's mm-hmm. like. I won't even say that jokingly. Like, I legitimately mean I love fan fiction and I love fan theories that are, like, weird and just, like, only barely supported but not contradicted, so you can't say they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually I moved to, like, uh, you know, Bloodborne came out, and I moved to, you know, I, I found, like, Drexon's Frontier, I found Redgrave, and I listened to a bunch of their stuff, um, and then I randomly ran into Aegon of Astora's channel, and I was like, ah, my place. Found it. Because what a nice boy. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. He has the... Okay, like... So, you know, full disclosure for all the business dealings that are going on here. I'm, I'm actually um, scheduled to guest on Dark Souls 3 Let's Talk Lore. Nice. Uh, in one of the episodes in like 12 years when uh, <laughs> we get around to that. Um, yeah. God, uh, bless his soul he's a teacher and he's on strike right now or something so it's like oh my gosh like what a fucking hectic life that's going on you know poor guy i i find his channel and i find his bloodborne lp and i i'm, I'm like sick at the time and i'm i just have a week where i have the flu and i just have to sit down and rest and not do anything so i marathon all of the bloodborne let's play and by episode three He's, like, he's doing, like, in-depth, personalized critiques of the biomedical industry, and he's shit-talking neoliberalism, and I'm like, holy shit, how is this guy so my things? Like, oh my god. (laughs) It's so good. Aegon is the is the nicest, sweetest boy that's currently doing stuff, I think. Like, he's 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 just such a super nice dude. And he has just, like, a good YouTube comment section that had me, like, oh, wow, I can talk on YouTube again. I can do that. I can, like, chat with people, and it's not full of slurs. Holy shit. And he had me, like, you know, uh, he... His channel led me to, like, you know, folks like um, Theomeni and uh, Candidate, and uh, got to hear more stuff from JSF as well. And so now I hang out on um, Theomeni's Discord, where I tend to write most of my just kind of ramblings about lore crack theory stuff. And I leave comments on all of Aegon's new Let's Talk Lore videos. So that's where people can find, honestly, the most of my weird theory uh, essay type stuff. Because I took Theo's advice and started a Medium account where I write some things, but I actually just have a bunch of drafts right now and I haven't actually released anything good and solid yet. It's uh, it's tough to put stuff out there, like especially written. I have a, I have a much easier time just talking to a microphone and then like forgetting immediately after I finished what I said and just putting it out there for, for people to listen to versus actually writing something, editing something, polishing it up, throwing it all away because it's bad, rewriting it from the start, <laughs> going going through that process. I'm, I'm, it's much more difficult. I'm just terrible at making bibliographies and and use and you know using uh, proper references in my text. I just kind of like. I, I just write a bunch of bullshit onto the page and then like hope it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, uh, as somebody who's been playing the Souls games for, for a long time, do you think that they have uh, changed you in any way? And I know that's kind of a big question, so I'm, I guess to, to narrow it down a little bit, like change your perception of other games or perception of yourself or like any kind of fundamental alteration um, in any way. Um, my self-perception, like, as a person, I don't think very much, because I I think it was more like who I am as a person affected how I approached the games rather than the other way around, because, like, I think at first they very much appealed to just kind of, like, a a, a shitty, egotistical, kind of hardcore gamer mindset that I had at one point, but I kind of just got over that more recently, and so now I kind of approach them thinking like oh this is fun games cool world i like the stories yeah um but as for like how i approach other games i mean yeah i I think they affected how i I think about um uh, caution and observation and how to like you know problem solve 
in other video games and, and, and making me appreciate, yeah, like we've talked about things like character creation and that kind of like player player decentralization, but also a focus on player self-expression in this kind of like Dark Souls 1 has a really sort of uh, existentialist kind of bent to it where your decisions don't matter. Like the few decisions you can make in the game don't really make any kind of long-term or, or large-scale differences, but they matter as choices because they're choices that have to be made. And I appreciate that a lot as a, as a storytelling thing because it's more personalized that way. And I feel like a lot of games are really eager to centralize the player character in their worlds. And in this, in that kind of power fantasizing way to, to make the player feel important instead of presenting a world that I can exist in as, as a player. Interesting. What do you thinking about all of that? What do you want to see from, from software in the future? Like you mentioned, not wanting a bloodborne to, um, at the place we're at now, you know, the remaster is on the horizon. We're getting pretty close to that. Whether the it, that's going to be good or bad, I think it's a kind of a big question mark right now. I can't imagine that they've messed it up so that that game is bad, but who knows? Uh, and from software um, has announced I have so many dumb, bad, pretentious theories about why the remaster has some problems. And, oh yeah, and they're incredibly minuscule. I was talking on Theo's Discord with the Centimeter Worm about this actually, uh, and and they were bringing up some points about like the the tiniest dumbest like graphical changes and stuff like bonfires look different now and that's a problem because bonfires used to be like these weird tendril things that like look nothing like real fire and that's actually important lore wise because i have crack theories about that and its relation to um demons and chaos flame and stuff but now it just looks like regular fire. And this is obviously a monumental problem. Yeah, they and there's some subtle differences too. Like are you you know, because they're adding bonfires in certain places, do you think do you think that's gonna affect the game, or do you think this is more just like quality of life stuff? Um so I, I I'm I am you know, like I've said, I'm a pretentious person who thinks like Dark Souls doesn't need a lot of quality of life stuff, and sometimes we should think about and appreciate why quality of life stuff maybe isn't there and think about why is this an inconvenience to me like what does that say flavor wise but i can also understand like quality of life things in general i don't get too caught up on that stuff so adding some extra bonfires to dark souls one that doesn't bother me really like i'm, I'm fine with it hmm. well, what do you i mean um since we've got like from software has announced shadows dot twice which um i think I know Theo is hoping that it's going to be a, a Kuan sequel and seeing her kind of Twitter LP that she's been doing of that has been kind of amazing and kind of makes me want the same thing. Uh, what what do you want to see from them? Like, what do you think would be uh, something that you like if you're pie in the sky? Oh gosh. I mean like I ideal. So what we see of shadows die twice from the like 10 second teaser image of it is like, it looks like it's going to be like an old timey creepy like Japanese style setting. Mm -hmm. So like that definitely calls back to Kwan and, and Theo convinced me to also go play through Kwan as well. So <laughs> I, uh, I streamed that really briefly and yeah, turns out, Hey, Kwan's great. Everyone should play it. Cause it's like a weird proto demon souls. Um, but playing through that made me realize yeah, like, yeah, FromSoft, even back then before demon souls, before any of the souls games, they were doing some of this story stuff that they do now. And so FromSoft going back to like a, an old timey, uh, you know, East Asian setting of some kind, ideally something more in the vein, like I would want something more in the vein of souls. Like I, I want souls to keep going. I know, I know everyone says how, you know, like, Oh, it's, it's, it's done. Dark souls is done. It's over. And we need to move on from Souls games. And I'm like, do we though? I could, I could play a few more. I could play <laughs> a few more Souls-like games. I wouldn't mind if these just kind of, you know, stay around forever. I wouldn't mind that. I'd, uh, um, I'd, I'd you know, I, I don't want more Dark Souls. I just want oh, no, more, no. more of this style of video game, and I think that's a, yeah. that's that's the that's the line that, that I kind of draw in the sand. And even when I'm saying that, like I am. 
well aware, well, well, well aware that like if if Bamco was like, yeah, we're doing Dark Souls four, I would be day one. Oh, hey, we're doing Dark Souls That's five. The part. That's the worst part of it. Because yep, I'd yeah, be there day one. I'm such a sucker. Yeah, Dark Souls six, I'd be like, well, you know, they burned me the last two times, but maybe this time, then I'd be there day one again. Like I'm, they've got me for another three games, no matter what. Like it'd be Dark Souls seven before I'm like, okay, guys, I'm just not. I'm just gonna wait for reviews this time. <laughs> yeah. Um. But I mean, I I don't know, I guess ideal would be like, okay, see like an interesting new setting like this kind of more Japanese inspired thing, because especially playing who playing Quan, like I, I say a lot in some of my streams and stuff, I stream games once in a while, they're very bad, don't watch them. Um, I say stuff like, you know, we've seen Greek mythology, Norse mythology, Japanese mythology, those are all played out in video games way too much, and I'm kind of done. Mm-hmm. Playing Quan, the way that it uses Japanese mythology is so weird and different and nothing like the kind of usual anime-style classic Japanese mythology that we say see in, like, Neo, for instance. Neo's cool, but it's like, I've seen an Oni before. Like, I, I get it, guys. I, I, I gotcha. Quan is like, hey, how about silkworms? Those are fucked up. <laughs> and it's like oh really they are why here's why <laughs> um and so kwan just takes this like japanese setting from this like from like a thousand years ago or whatever and just like spins it in this really cool direction about like curses and and illnesses and and like this just weird nasty ghost story that feels unlike a ghost story it's 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 great so I actually totally have faith that if they do do a kind of more traditional Japanese setting for another Souls game, that, like, they'll make weird stuff out of it. They'll mm. make weird, creepy, interesting horror stuff out of a new game. So please, a, a new setting would be great. I have total faith in FromSoft to deliver on that. Beyond that, I guess more minor things is just, like, you know, bring back non-linearity. Bring back a, an interconnected, non-linear world progression style. And I'll be really happy with that. Well, Hunter, uh, I think with that note, I want to thank you for guesting on the podcast. And I really, really appreciate you coming and sharing your experiences with me. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Where can you be found on the internet if people want to uh, stalk you on the internet? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, a few places. I'm, I do and make a few things. Um, I can be found on Twitter. That's at uh, LEDComic. Uh, you'll find me Hunter M. Um, that's because I make a webcomic called Light Earth Defenders, LED. It's about big giant robots and a bunch of queer people that pilot them. Um, I also am on Tumblr. That's, uh, Glengi, G-L-E-N-G-I dot Tumblr.com. If you go to Theomeni's Discord, I also hang out there quite a bit, and you can find me just, like, talking sugar and making jokes and dumb things like that. Um... And I also have a few, like, projects in the work. I'm a freelance illustrator, and I'm open for commissions, everybody. Awesome. Uh, but I also work on some things like I'm working on a webcomic very inspired by Dark Souls because I figure series is over now. So I have a creepy dark fantasy webcomic that I'm kind of just doing sketches and figuring some things out for, as well as a... Uh, preliminary work on a art book called the ABCs of monster girls, which everybody should uh, keep an eye out for because it might surprise you. I'm very much into that. I, I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast would also be very much into that. So um, yeah, if anybody is curious about that stuff, make sure you go to the show notes and click on all of those links and subscribe or like, or follow or whatever the social media command of, of the day is to do um, all, all good things. And thank you again. I really appreciate you guesting. No, yeah, yeah, it was super fun. It was really nice, actually. As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. That has links to everything that you could possibly want from a podcast, including merchandise. If you want to wear a skelly on your belly, you can get a shirt there. You can also find all of our links to social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Uh, Instagram is kind of interesting. I've been putting up these kind of uh, neat little transcribed videos, uh, which are brief clips. So if you want to kind of go get an idea of an episode before jumping into a full hour long conversation, just go hit the Instagram. It's a pretty good place for that. Uh, 
thank you to everybody that's been leaving iTunes reviews. That's very much appreciated and it really helps the podcast out. And thank you extremely much to the supporters over at patreon.com slash don't give up skeleton. Thank you everybody also for listening and remember don't give up skeleton. And that was awesome. That t- time, yeah, I like. I looked over and I was like, recording. "Holy shit, we're at fifty-five minutes. How did we get here?" <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. That yeah, that hour actually flew by. <laughs> this was great fun.